Hello and welcome to the NLCC Sermon Podcast. In a moment, we'll listen in on a message from our Sunday morning worship service. But first, if this is your first time tuning into NLCC, we would love for an opportunity to get to know you and walk with you in your faith journey. If you're interested in connecting with this church, head to our website, northliberty.cc, and hit the I'm New button or use the links in the description. Our goal is to help you experience the transformational power of God in your life. And we hope and pray that you find that in this message. Bathsheba, beautiful woman next door. Pregnant, Uriah, her military husband was basically murdered. And King David, king of Israel was responsible. And this dark period of Israel's history, which every nation, every civilization, every person has some dark history that we don't want to talk about. Especially David right now. In this split second, this split second decision, one moment in time, is where David wasn't doing very well being a man after God's own heart. When David messed up, it wasn't small. This particular decision done in the flesh had somewhat changed David's influence over the people who knew about it. It also hurt David's heart to know that he had hurt the heart of God. I've got a couple pictures up here just to give you a different, uh, some perspective of what, how this happened. So go ahead and show the first slide. This is the city of David. We're getting ready to enter into it. Go ahead and go to the next slide. And this here is right on the, the, where David's palace would have been overlooking the Kidron Valley. Um, I brought this up here, so I'm going to use it. There we go. This over here is the Mount of Olives, Garden of Gethsemane over here. This here is the south uh, east corner of the, the Jerusalem city. But right where I'm standing taking this picture is the, the palace of David. And overlooking, go to the next slide, you're going to see the hillside. Uh, this is where all these homes are. There's still a lot of the foundation from, uh, from the homes back in the first century and even earlier. But this is where David's military men would have stayed, right across the, the palace, just in case David needed them. The next picture gives you a little close-up. Uh, uh, we missed the picture. But this here is the south uh, uh, west corner, east corner of Jerusalem. This right here is actually the corner of the temple or the, of the Jerusalem where Jesus was up when the Satan tempted him. About another 100 feet higher on that corner is where Jesus was able to look over the Kidron Valley and, and, and Satan said, go ahead and throw yourself out. The angels will catch you before your foot hits the stone. If you go back a picture or two, if they're on there, hopefully they are. Um, no other pictures? Okay, there we go. This here is a rooftop. This is what David would have seen. Now, he didn't have binoculars, so it wouldn't have been up close like that, but he's on his palace up high. When you you read this story, you can't figure out how did David see what was going on on her rooftop. Now you get, he's up on uh, the the hillside here in his palace overlooking his military uh, officer's homes, and he's able to see the roof of where Bathsheba was. 
And that's how he was able to see her bathing naked on the rooftop. We've all been tempted on some level and have, been, and have fallen into whatever the issue was for a period of time. We're all guilty of something. Uh, hopefully and prayerfully, you've turned it over to God and you've walked away from it. And like us, God loved David so much uh, to allow him to continue to wallow in his sin uh, or to allow the shame and, and guilt to destroy him. And so God sent the prophet Nathan to the palace to challenge challenge a king to, to own his sin and, and repent of it and bury it. In other words, kill a giant, because David was pretty good at killing giants, but he had to learn to do the same thing in his own life here. And even though Nathan was a great prophet, it was still a very difficult and frightening thing for him to have to uh, do because he and David were close friends. Uh, and, and if David allowed pride and anger to enter into the picture, he could easily have killed, this king, or, uh, killed Nathan the prophet. But it was uh, pretty evident what had transpired. Bathsheba is spending a lot of time with the king. And her husband is dead and she's pregnant. And so God tells Nathan to go have a talk with David about it. And in order uh, for God to continue to bless David, he had to overcome and repent of the sin, which was only going to happen if somebody had enough courage to call him out on it. And so the question for you is, how, how would David react when Nathan approached him in private? How would you react? Would David own it and repent of it, or would he get defensive and kill a prophet? I'm sure many of you are thinking there's no way that you could ever confront someone of sin uh, that they're actively involved in because of the own, your own sin issues. But I, and I get all that, but it doesn't void us of our responsibility to have a conversation with somebody, another believer. If, if someone is actually living in sin that is harming themselves or other people, and you know this for sure, then confront the giant. It doesn't have to be a frightening experience thing for you to do, uh, but you do it with equal, an equal balance of love and truth. Look how Nathan approached this powerful king about this sin issue. Uh, church, sometimes we, we all have a blind spot in our lives. Uh, we need others uh, to help us recognize those so that we don't come crashing down somewhere. And, and how we react to the person who calls us out in love and truth will show us whether or not we are a person actually after the heart of God. And as we, as we walk through this particular story, we will see that David had this heart of uh, repentance here. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, if you have your Bibles, turn there. If not, the scriptures will be on the board. It says in chapter 11, verse 26, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. That would be Bathsheba. And after the time of mourning was over, David had her brought into his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. And I want you to notice the outcome of this whole situation. It says, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. That's the important part right there. And then in 2 Samuel chapter 12, starting in verse 1, God was ready to move, okay? The Lord sent Nathan to David. God sent Nathan uh, to have this heart-to-heart -heart talk with David, and sometimes the Lord will send us to go talk to another Christian who has been drifting away from God, and we don't hear much uh, about doing things like this in our age of extreme tolerance or, you know, because we don't want to be you know, dealing with people and their issues and their attacks on us because we want to show some love. Uh, we don't want to go after people who are trying to rewrite the word of God to fit their own moral narrative. We don't want to do that because it's a scary thing, but God tells us to have those difficult conversations if you truly love the person. 
2 Timothy 3, Paul tells young Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness. He also tells him a chapter later, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season uh, to correct and rebuke and encourage with great patience. And then he tells uh, young Titus, encourage and rebuke with authority. Talking with others about sin issues are, are, to, are to be balanced with encouragement and love, not at all to destroy or ruin or embarrass someone. That's just downright childish, and it's hateful, and it's just rotten. Now, I don't know if this is true. I've never been to an Air Force Academy, but they say that they have a pledge engraved on one of their buildings, and it says this, I will not lie, steal, or cheat, or tolerate those who do. And so one cadet was sharing that with his dad, and, his, and he told his dad that I put my head down on my, my, my test paper all the time when I'm taking a test. And his dad said, is it because you don't want anybody to accuse you of cheating? And he said, no, no. Dad, I'm afraid I would see somebody else cheating, and I'd have to turn them in. Now, church, we are not to be about actively searching for people who have stumbled with some sin issue, hoping we can throw stones at them. That is not what this is about. But if we are aware of someone struggling, we are to hold one another accountable and to help them provide a way out so they can remove themselves from that stuff. If you saw uh, a, a, or even knew uh, without a doubt that a person was physically abusing their spouse, you better have found a way to rebuke that and end that abuse because if you don't, then you are not a very caring or courageous person. If you see a brother or sister in Christ endangering their own spiritual lives as well as others, you need to pull them aside and say something to them. Face the giant and kill it, if you will. This is not a self-righteousness or, or being judgmental. God has directed us to do so, and so it's, it's compassionate and it's biblical. Proverbs 28 says, He who rebukes a man will in the end gain more favor than he who has a flattering tongue. So, Love on your brother, sister, share with them. These, th th there, there comes a time when integrity demands uh, that we confront, and sometimes as much for our own well-being as for the spiritual welfare of others. The prophet Nathan is a great example on how to approach somebody regarding a biblical sin issue. And, and, and we're not talking about a matter of opinion. So please know the difference. If you are always attacking people regarding matters of opinion, non-biblical issues, non-salvational issues, anything other than doctrinal issues, then you are displaying self-righteousness just like the Pharisees did on a continuous basis, and Jesus condemned them all the time for that. Stop doing it, he says. Anyway, Nathan was the right person to talk to David. Uh, Nathan and David were already friends, and if you're going to hold somebody accountable uh, with the hopes of them repenting, make sure that they know that you love them. Make sure that they know that you have their best interests at heart. Don't go because you're angry at them and you want to humiliate them or unload on them. Maybe, maybe you can think about this, that if you, if you know you have to uh, do anything, if you look forward to going, then I would encourage you not to go. That tells me your heart is not in the right place. Like I said, if this, is a matter of, if, if this is a matter of opinion, I would encourage you just just stop. You don't have that right. God didn't give us that right. It, 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 Nathan had a heart-to-heart -heart with David over a significant biblical sin issue. David was caught in a web of deceit and leveraging his position of authority to control others, premeditated murder and adultery. Galatians chapter 1, or chapter 6, uh, Paul says, Brothers, if someone is caught... Some of your versions might say if someone is overtaken, 
in a, in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. And that verse uh, says to restore a person gently if they've been trapped up or tripped up in some kind of sin. If you love them, help them get out of it. We, we are not uh, appointed by God to be you know, emotionally charged referees throwing penalty flags that every, at everyone who fumbles that spiritual moral football. Because if that were the case, then everyone every day would have someone in their face all day long their entire life. Because we all fall short of the glory of God every day, the scripture says. There's nobody in here without sin, not one. And I've been uh, on a golf course, and I've got a couple guys in here that can verify this, uh, that, uh, you know, if you're, on, if you're on a team on a golf course and you have somebody in there who's just really irate all the time and somebody gets close to the green on their cart or even drives on the edge, or, you know, flipping them off and cussing at them and throwing all kinds of, you know, fits, you can't, you know, it's not allowed. But those same people won't say anything to the guys in their foursome if one of those individuals will pick up a ball that's in a rough or out of bounds and throw it towards the green. That's not allowed either. You're not supposed to do that. But we'll call out one and not the other. It's not my job to confront every Christian who talks out of turn or who wastes their money on stupid things or has a different preference than myself. But when a Christian brother or sister is caught in some serious spiritual sin, then I have a responsibility to talk with them gently and with love according to the word here. And the nice thing about Nathan is that he went to David alone. He didn't set David up in front of his peers or hurt or try to embarrass he, him. He, he didn't attack him on, this, on a matter of opinion. He didn't hide behind you know, emails and Facebook and Twitter and anonymous letters or talk to everybody else about it other than the person. He went to David to figure out the truth and how to resolve it. Remember what Jesus said about talking to others about real sin issues? Matthew 18. He says, if your brother sins against you, sins, not hurt your feelings, sins. Go and show him his fault. And that fault would mean an actual biblical sin against the word of God. And just between the two of you and have the conversation. Your, your, your chances of having an empathetic spirit and, and producing a positive results will be greatly increased if you do it one-on-one -on -one according to the word of God. Jesus carefully outlined a procedure for enabling an offending brother uh, to admit his sin and repent of it. And since the offense is personal, the offended uh, should confront the offender privately in order to make him aware. Because some people may not even be aware. They're just so ignorant or naive to what's going on around them. And so if the Christian is to go to extreme measures to rescue a fallen sibling, then we need to approach them, as Jesus says, with a heart of compassion and truth and love, as a shepherd would a lost sheep, and pursue every avenue for possible, possible reconciliation and mending of that relationship. That's what's important to the body of Christ. The thing about Nathan and his relationship with David, I'm pretty sure Nathan spent a lot of time praying and consulting God about this matter before he even approached David. He, he, he waited on God before he moved. He waited on God. Nathan didn't go to David as soon as he heard the rumors that Bathsheba, you know, was pregnant or even that she moved in with him. He didn't go then. Old Testament scholars, they all agree it was probably a year before Nathan was even sent by God. Because if you recognize in the scriptures, the baby was already born. What was happening during this period is that God was working on David's conscience. The Holy Spirit was working. And his defenses were down. And it was, God, it was God's perfect timing. That's why David was able to receive Nathan's word without getting de defensive about it. 
And so when we become aware of a problem in somebody else's life that we love and respect, we want to fix it. We want to fix it now. But I've learned, I've approached uh, others too quickly or even in times of anger with, a good, with good intentions to know that those good intentions can result with a not-so-good unintentional result. You've got to be careful. Timing's got to be right. And so I would encourage you, pray and allow your emotions to settle and wait on God. And if you approach others without uh, prayer and, and time, uh, the, 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 that relationship between the two of you becomes the issue rather than the sin that needs to be dealt with. You know how it is. You start fighting with the other person. Well, you did, well, you did. And the whole discussion on why you went there is gone. Wait on God. Wait on God. And Nathan met with David, and he went with factual information. He didn't go on hearsay. He didn't go on second, third generation gossip. If you suspect a rumor is true, then get the facts before you go. And if someone else shared the information about someone else, you better darn well know for sure what that person's motive was in telling you. Because they might be out to destroy a person. So be careful what you hear and what you believe. Because if any of this is done with a vindictive motive, it will ruin any discussion, any relationship, and delay any repentance that needs to take place. Nathan went in love and with gentle words. He didn't go up unloading with his anger, you know, at David. David, everybody knows, you know, you've been you're running around with Bathsheba. You've embarrassed the whole kingdom of Israel. You've embarrassed God. You know, you need to stop this. You, I mean, you've got to repent of this because if you don't, then you're going to turn out just like King Saul. Nathan thought long and hard and planned carefully what he was going to say. Proverbs 25 says, A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Like an earring of gold or an ornament of fine gold is a wise man's rebuke to a listening ear. So the right words are crucial. Don't go into a situation and not pre-pray and practice how and what you need to say. Because I believe that God will give you the words that you need to say uh, and, and, and the discussion will be a whole lot better. The outcome will be a whole lot better. And it was God who said uh, through James, if any of you lacks wisdom, then ask God. Because God will give to anybody who asks, you know, uh, in confidence without finding fault in that person. And he will give you what you need to do what you need to do according to the word of God. So Nathan came to David and shared a pretty compelling parable. Chapter 12, verses 1 and 4. David, there's a certain man in your kingdom who has a lot of livestock, a large bank account, and he's very rich. He lives next door to a guy who's pretty poor, and in fact, he, was, he has only one little lamb that he keeps in his house, and, and it's a family pet, and it drinks from his own cup, and it eats from his own plate, and he holds it in his arms like he's cuddling a child, and the, and the little children get to pet the lamb. But this traveler came to the home of this rich man, and he, instead of killing one of his many sheep uh, for the meal, went next door and stole the lamb, the pet of the poor neighbor. And it says here that David burned with anger towards that man. Now, Alexander Wright, uh, White, who is a Christian author, he, he wrote this. Nathan's sword, the prophet's sword, was within an inch of David's conscience before David knew that Nathan had a sword. One sudden thrust and the king was at Nathan's feet. That's powerful. If you go with a heart of God, a heart of love, 
God will be right there ready to convict. Verse 5 says, David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die, and he must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And Nathan responded to his friend who was the king with truth, and he says this in 7 and 9, David, you are that man. Can you imagine? Has anybody ever come to you and say, you are that person? You are that man? You are that woman? That is powerful. He goes on to say, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel, David, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah, and if all this had, not, had been too little, I would have given you more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite. And this is one of the 75 mighty men, uh, David, of yours. David, you know, he's been with you from the very beginning. He, he protected you in caves, and you struck him down with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Nathan didn't water it down. You know, by saying, well, David, you know, I know other kings would have done the same thing, and, and I know other kings are, you know, worse than what you've done here. And he didn't say, I, I know that God is full of grace, David. He, he didn't, he didn't, he, he told the truth and trusted God for the results. And so take courage, and, and I mean, you have to take courage. Again, kill the giant. And that's what Nathan did. He went in there to destroy, to bring down the stronghold of this lie that David was believing. And so how did David respond to Nathan's te truth telling here? What we see in David after he was confronted by his close friend uh, about his sin issue reveals to us the reason David was called a man after God's own heart. Even though he was living in sin, he did not remove himself from his godly friends, his influences. He allowed them to approach him and share their concern. We all need truth tellers in our lives, right? You know, I love you more than you're ever going to know here. And so this is why I'm trying to help you see that you're moving away from God. You're pushing God away. You're ignoring what he has to say here. We need people in our lives who are, who are going to ask the hard questions and not just be yes people in our lives. I was listening to a podcast by Andy Stanley a couple months ago about leadership and, and uh, what, um, which can be applied to family and, and groups of friends. And, and he said that if you think that everyone in your group has to agree on everything to be un a unified group, then you're mistaken. If everyone agrees, agrees on everything, it's a sure sign that someone is afraid to say no to you. And that is unhealthy. If one feels they cannot disagree without being ridiculed, mocked, or excommunicated, that is unhealthy. And if you feel that way in your homes... Between your spouses, your friends, something needs to change. Because you, you should be able to share your concerns, your feelings, both positive and negative, without feeling that you're going to be attacked. That's the kind of relationship a husband and wife should have. That's the kind of relationship that uh, children should have towards their parents and parents towards their kids. David, David let Nathan in, into his life to share, uh, uh, share truth without becoming defensive. And he could, have re he could have reacted in anger against Nathan, right? He could have shook his fist at him, his finger at him. I, I did not have relations with that woman Bathsheba. He, he could have done and said whatever he wanted. For crying out loud, he was the king. What do you, who do you think you are to judge me like this? Uh, you, I have given you refrigerator light rights in my palace, Nathan. And, and how dare you? I know some things about you, Nathan, that you don't want made public. I, I could go tell everybody. He could have blamed Bathsheba. 
I mean, this beautiful woman was sunbathing on her roof or crying out loud. Who would not think that any red-blooded Israelite wouldn't have looked? He could have said, other kings have done a lot worse, which would have been true. David could have attacked how Nathan came to him. Nathan, you're right. You're 100% right. But I'm ticked at you. You're supposed to be my friend? You didn't have to come to me and, and trick me with this stupid parable, parable about a pet lamb? To King David's credit, he didn't get defensive and he owned it. As we can see, David immediately admitted his guilt. Verse 13. And then David said to Nathan, I have sinned. But he didn't stop there. He says, I have sinned against the Lord. Do you ever listen to people try to apologize or rationalize something they did or said that was pretty ignorant? Uh, it, it's possible that, you know, someone misunderstood what I said. I, I misspoke, misspoke, I miscommunicated. That's not what I wanted to, you to hear. If that happened, then I'm sorry for you misunderstanding me. That's not an apology. That's not owning it. The word if and but rob the confession of any meaning. Basically what they're saying, you know, I can't say what I want to say. Um, it, it's pretty clear you're, you're upset, but I haven't done anything wrong. And, and, and just to get you off my back, I'll go ahead and tell you what you want to hear. David says, I've sinned, and I'm sorry. True guilt comes from willfully and knowingly disobeying God and, and deciding to repent of it. It's obvious that, that true guilt had been weighing heavily on David's conscience for quite some time now. Quite some time. And I know the same happens with us. He knew in his heart he was a better man than what he was living. And David writes what his sin had done to him. Not just this particular one, but his sin. And, and Psalm 32, and I would encourage you to go home and read this, maybe read it on a weekly basis because, again, we all sin. But he writes this. When I kept silent, my bones washed away, uh, wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength had, was sapped as in the heat of summer. And it happened to be a person who was still caught in some sin, or if you happen to be that person that's been you know, caught in sin or you haven't yet forgiven yourself of that sin, do yourself a favor and confess it to God. Just kill it. Kill the, 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 the giant of shame and guilt and move forward. David goes on in, the, in Psalm 32, verse 5, Then I acknowledge my sin to you, God, and did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. And you know when God is usually found? When people are actually searching for God with their entire heart, soul, and mind. That's when you're going to find God. When you humble yourself before him. Church, I mean, that is a beautiful passage there. And this is how our Lord and Savior wants us to approach him. Lay whatever it is you're struggling with at the foot of the cross and walk away from it. But make sure, like we talked about a few weeks ago, you kill the giant. Put it out of its misery. Be done with it. David does that. and He admitted his sin to God. He repented of it. He killed it. And, it continue, and he continued on in his journey of life as a man after God's own heart. He didn't go back on the rooftop with a pair of binoculars looking for another woman. He didn't do that. And if you want to see the broken heart of David when all this happened, he wrote a psalm about it in, in Psalm 51. 
It's a great psalm. And he, he starts off, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash it all my iniquities away and cleanse me from sin. For I know that my transgressions and, and my sin is always before me. And you know how that is, don't you? When he says my sin is always before me, when, you, when, you're, when you're guilty, you know it. You're thinking about it all the time. Every time that the phone rings, every time you open a letter, every, an email, uh, a text message, or you see people whispering, or you see the football team going to the huddle, you think they're talking about you. Your sin is always before you, you know, and it scares you. And that's what David's talking about here. Generally speaking, people don't know. But you and God do. So kill the giant. Be done with it. After David writes, my sin is always before me, he goes on to say in verse 4, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are uh, proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sin sinful from my, the time a mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the innermost places. And one of the, the characteristics of a genuine repentance is to acknowledge the, the truth to God. David says, I'm a sinner. And then he goes on to write in verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop and I will be cleansed. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And let, your, let, let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed uh, rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me your salvation not the salvation the world thinks they can bring you the only way you get through this is laying it at the foot of the cross laying it before God and say God I am truly sorry and you pick up his grace and you run with it I know many of you some of you young, younger ones probably don't know who Dennis the menace is but one day he got in a lot of trouble with his mom for being naughty and she sent him into a corner of his room and about an hour later mom can I come down I'm sorry I'm as sorry as I'm gonna get <laughs> David was as sorry as he could be in this moment he wrote a song about it He's basically saying here, God, I gotta be honest with you. I have, I've had no joy this last year. I don't wanna go to the temple. My life is miserable. Please restore the joy of your salvation in my life. Please bring my bones and, and my blood and my life back to life, Lord. That's what he's asking. And what did God do? What did God do? He forgave him. There are 57 references to David in the New Testament. Not one time does the New Testament mention David's sin. Because when we repent, God buries our sin in the deepest parts of the sea and he chooses not to remember them. Micah chapter 7. Who is a God like you who, are, who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities in the depths of the sea. This is what the, the, the Old Testament prophets and David wrote about all the time. They knew their God. Do you know who your God is? Do you know what he's capable of doing? When you belong to God, he comes and restores that which is wrong. 
And Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that real love keeps no record of wrongs. And that's our God. David genuinely repented and God completely forgave him. But there, there was still earthly consequences and David receives them without getting bitter uh, towards Nathan or God. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 13. And then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said, listen, the Lord has taken away your sin, David. You're not going to die. You're not going to die. But because by doing this you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. Nathan is more concerned with God's namesake than he is David's. And maybe we as a church, Christians across this world, need to understand that God's namesake is more important than ours. You want to know why the, 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 the world out there has no respect for the church today? It's because of the church, not God. It's because of us. David loved his child, and so he pleads with God to spare his life. He fasted and prayed once the son became ill for seven days and nights, but the child died, as we know. When David learned the child was dead, he got up from the ground, he washed, he put on fresh clothes, and he, and he ate. He wasn't bitter at anyone when his son died. A, genuine, uh, a genuinely humble and repentant person doesn't get angry with God or, or, or the church or blame other Christians for you know, something that happened, uh, the way something was handled, the outcome of whatever. His, his servants noticed what David did, and he asked in, in verse 20, David, why are you acting this way? This is kind of weird. While, while the child was alive, you fastened and wept, and now the child is dead, you get up and you eat. And David says, well, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, and I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now he is dead, why should I fast? I, I, I can't bring him back again. I can't. I can't do it. But I will one day be with him. That's what I know for sure. He can't return to me, but I can go to him. David understood this. He understood that there was something outside this physical life that he was going to be able to experience. And we all know the end of the story. What we see David doing is he accepts whatever God does and he forgives himself and he strengthens his relationship with Nathan and God. And then he says in verse 24, and then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and he went to her and he lay with her and she gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon and the Lord loved him. That's the true nature of our God. His grace and love are so good. He picks us up where we fell, and he renews our spirits. David didn't, didn't make life miserable for Bathsheba, for himself, for Nathan, or Israel. God blessed them with a son, and they named him Solomon. And we all know the story of Solomon. We're going to be talking about him in a few weeks. And, and God loved him, and David moved forward with life and his responsibilities as a king of Israel. And it's rare, uh, it's a rare person who can forgive himself, and it's even a rare person who will not hold a grudge against the person who has come and had the courage to, to talk to you, have that heart-to-heart -heart conversation with you. David and Nathan remained friends, even Nathan was forced to move here. This pa there's, a, there's a passage in 1 Chronicles chapter uh, 3 that's kind of cool, and I know that many of you have done this, and you'll, you'll, you'll catch on here. David and Bathsheba had other children, as you well know. Not just Solomon, not the one that died, 
It says, and one of their sons they named Nathan. They named Nathan after the prophet who came and had the courage to confront him about his sin. That's how much respect he had. It's no wonder he's called a man after God's own heart. If, you're, if you've repented, then please accept God's forgiveness and live life to its fullest as Jesus wants from us. It, it was God who said in Psalm 103, as far as the east is removed from the west, so far have I have removed your transgressions from you. That's our God. And maybe I'm talking to a Christian uh, who has stumbled in, in this life over some issue, whatever it might be, even maybe, maybe like David, but there has been no Nathan in your life. No Nathan in your life. And so I hope and pray that this message that God has provided for you today will be your Nathan. If you found value in this message, then we want to encourage you to subscribe to this channel. And if you know someone who needs to hear this message, then please share it with them. NLCC has another podcast called The Other Six, where we discuss what it looks like to have an everyday faith on the other six days of the week. You can find that wherever you listen to your podcasts, or there's a video version on our YouTube channel. Thank you for listening in and participating with us. We look forward to doing this again with you next week.